Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to our tech radio show for this week with all the latest in tech around Ireland and indeed around the world. Thank you for downloading from our website at techcentral.ie using your favourite podcast app on your smartphone or listening to us on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. This is our show for the weekending Friday the 10th of July. And joining me as ever is Niall Kitson at Tech Central HQ. Uh, a little earlier in the week he spoke to, man I'm impressed with this, the chief scientific advisor to the government. You want to find out what's happening in those inner circles? We have it all for you in around about uh, five, ten minutes. But first, Niall, uh, I suppose two other big stories making the news this week. Uh, Google, Google Glass may not be dead. Yeah, or, or not as dead as we think it is. Uh, according to a filing with the Federal Communications Commission in the uh, States, Google have registered a new device that it has codenamed GG1. GG1. Oh, uh, oh, now let me see. What could that possibly be? What G- could that possibly be? Google Glass, GG1. Uh, no, I'm lost. Anyway, go on. Tell yeah. me more. Well, um, for what we know so far, this uh, Wonder device uh, will come equipped with Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and an Intel Atom processor, but uh, visually we know a little bit about how it will look. Uh, Basically, we are looking at the same rough idea as Google Glass as we knew it, only with a larger display on it. So making it, giving it, I suppose, a bit more of an industrial feel. Um, Basically, this is something that you're really not going to care about wearing out in the open. So uh, we're looking at perhaps enterprise applications in the same way that we were looking at Daiquiri and augmented reality a couple of weeks ago. Now, I was actually going to say that because I, I hope people took my advice and watched the uh, the video on the website, daiquiri.com, because uh, that is uh, that gave me a whole new idea. for Google. You look like if you walk around with Google Glass on your head walking down O'Connell Street, you're a nerd. That's it. I'm sorry. There's no other way of doing it. All right. But if you imagine yourself, as I saw on the daiquiri.com uh, website, in a particular job where you need to look at things and be able to reference information immediately and to have it come up on, on the glass uh, thing in front of you, man, it's like straight out of Star Trek and very cool. So maybe yeah. do you think that's what they're, they're going for? I think so. I think maybe Google will look back at this and go, you know what, going into the consumer space was just such a bad idea with this. If we can trade off, you know, functionality for form Mm. and actually get people on board with the device in a way that they almost have to try it uh, with an open mind. You know, yeah, this is an expensive piece of hardware, but I go into work, I put it on. You know, I go home, I either think, you know, God, you know, I, I could do with that right now, you know, <laughs> or mm. I could really, I would really enjoy using a second screen, watching the television just like that right now. I, I think once you ask people not to make fools of themselves walking up and down the street, if you were to tell them this is a device you can enjoy in the comfort of your own home, maybe playing games or problem solving or doing anything but making yourself a target for ridicule, then I think it might have had an easier time uh, going to market. I think Daiquiri is a fantastic example. Hmm. I mean, their their whole thing is, look, you're, you're not going to be wearing this thing outside. This is an industrial product, and it's going to be industrial grade. And I think Google will look at that and products like it and go, yep, this is, this is where we should be playing. Because Google's technology behind Glass wasn't bad. It's just that they went for the wrong space with the wrong applications. And I think if they go industrial this time, if they target heavy Mm. industry, 
they might have that right. Well, I think keeping that in mind and what we learned from uh, Daiquiri.com as well, uh, we will uh, take a fresh look through Google Glass. Uh, Also making the news today is uh, Microsoft and uh, not good news. Not good news for Microsoft, no. Uh, CEO Satya Nadella has come out and announced the further axing of another 7,800 jobs at Microsoft. This is on top of the 18,000 they already promised to let go in a giant corporate restructuring, uh, which has cost them hundreds of millions of dollars. I think it's going to cost up to $850 million in restructuring costs alone. Uh, and there, there have been some executive departures as well, one very closely related to the, the main casualty in this. Um, amongst sort of the, the bad news that was dished out this week is that there is there, Microsoft is going to take a $7.6 billion write-down on its acquisition of Nokia's handset business. To put that into perspective, Microsoft paid $7.9 billion just last year from it. So, Ultimately, Nokia's handset business was worth about three hundred million. And I'd say my, Michael Noonan is looking at those numbers, going, "I wish I had a seven point eight billion write down as well." <laughs> I, I can, I can imagine. <laughs> but it just goes to show the scale of the muck mm. that was Microsoft's um, uh, purchase of Nokia. Let alone pushing in Stephen Elop, um, or rather, when Nokia poached Stephen Elop from Microsoft, uh, that turned out to be a terrible idea for all concerned. Elop has now gone from Microsoft completely which I think was a pretty good um, statement of intent from Satya Nadella that he was leaving behind Steve Ballmer's vision of one Microsoft, which was sort of Microsoft as a devices and services company um, to one that focuses on helping people be productive. So now it won't be, it's not about building the Microsoft ecosystem, although Microsoft have a lot of pretty good products. It's about making sure you can use Microsoft tools anywhere you happen to be mm. in order to be productive. So it, it doesn't matter that, you're, that you have an Android phone because there's Office for Android. It doesn't matter if you have an iOS device. There's Office for iOS. There's Office for Mac. Windows is sort of, uh, it's got, you know, we've got Windows 10 coming up. One of the main things about Windows 10 is that developers will be able to develop an app once and it will work across the entire Windows platform, be it, you know, tablets, the desktop, or even the smartphone. So it is this integrated perspective that Satya Nadella has brought on it. And yeah, we're, there's going to be a bit more blood on the floor before things finally um, finally settle down. But most of these jobs, they are going in, in, the, hand, in the handset business. Mm. So any sort of Further development of Lumia phones, I can't see them no. getting the same sort of push as a, a Galaxy mm. range or a, an iPhone or anything like that. I think it's almost relegating the Lumias to novelty category in, certain, <laughs> in some respects. Listen, tell me about you've been uh, out and about this week as well, and you met a fascinating chap called Mark Ferguson. What is Mark Ferguson's title? Professional. Yeah, well, I was out at uh, the offices of Science Foundation Ireland for the announcement of their annual report during the week. And as you say, I met with Mark Ferguson, whose full title is uh, Director General of Science Foundation Ireland, but he's also the Chief Scientific Advisor to the government. So he's got a fairly wide uh, remit in terms of his contribution to the sciences in Ireland. So I caught up with him directly to find out a little bit more about Science, Fe- Science Foundation Ireland, its work, and where Ireland is now standing internationally in terms of excellence and impact of our research. 
I'm at the offices of Science Foundation Ireland now in Wilton Place in Dublin City uh, on a fairly wet and miserable Tuesday afternoon, it has to be said. But I am with the SFI Director General and Chief Scientific Advisor to the Government of Ireland, uh, Mr. Mark Ferguson. And we're going to talk a lot uh, about Science Foundation Ireland, its values and what it contributes to the economy and uh, basically the state of science in Ireland at the moment. Uh, now, Mark, when I was sitting down to sort of come up with a, a potted version of uh, SFI and its role, uh, I, I sort of boiled it down to two values. Uh, I was thinking it's about curiosity and it's about pragmatism. It's about you know the, the, the urge in science to know more, but it's also about that common sense view in business that says, actually, no, you can do this much and that's it. Well, I think that's a, a very good summary. I mean, I would perhaps use two different words, which would be excellence and impact. We are really interested in funding excellent science, excellent people, and we really would like that uh, results of that research to be impactful, impactful into the economy, say, in creating jobs or companies, impactful into society, you know, solving some of the problems of society, whether it be climate change or whether it be feeding an ever-increasing population, impactful into policy. You know, it's really helpful that the policy is based on good evidence and good research. So excellence and impact are very important for us. And, you know, one way of thinking about this is that, that Ireland as a country has, has prided itself on trading on its ideas, on its innovation, or, and, you know, attracting multinational companies, starting new indigenous companies, many of which have grown in the agri-sector and so on. And innovation starts with ideas and it starts with science. And that's what Science Foundation Ireland does. It funds really the best people with the best ideas to try and develop those ideas through the research to advance knowledge and that will hopefully be impactful into society and the economy. So that's what we do. So in terms of where SFI sort of sits in uh, the, the sort of, uh, I don't want to say pantheon, but we'll say it anyway, pantheon of sciences in Ireland at the moment, how does somebody approach SFI with an idea? Are you in the background or is this sort of you're going into universities uh, saying, you know, we're here, come talk to us? So it's very much to the fore. I think that to answer that question, there are three enterprise agencies. And in very simple terms, the IDA is about attracting companies to Ireland, and they fund the companies. Our sister agency, Enterprise Ireland, is about indigenous companies within Ireland, and they typically fund the companies. And Science Foundation Ireland is about funding public institutions. So that's universities, institutes of technology, public research bodies, often in collaboration with industry to do cutting-edge research. We have a series of programs, uh, a balanced portfolio, you know, from very large centres to small investigator awards, from support for young people to support to establish stars, international partnerships and so on. They're all available on our website um, uh, where they can be seen. We proactively go out into the community, both into the academic community, who I think know us very well, into the industrial community, where I think it's more patchy, um, and then into the public at large, where I think it's ever more patchy, uh, about how they can uh, collaborate, how they can apply uh, to get funding for particular research that they want to do. There's another arm of Science Foundation Ireland which is about outreach, which is about educating the public and encouraging children to come in uh, uh, to careers in science and to choose science in schools. Uh, that's SFI Discover. And there we fund, for example, science festivals like Science Week and we contribute to things like the BT Young Scientist Award and so on. These are festivals or events to try and encourage young people. Again, that's competitive. Again, it's open to groups who want to organise such things to come and apply to us. 
So uh, when you talk about SFI, um, one of its values being uh, being impactful, we have a couple of measure, measures as to how Ireland is doing at the moment, and it, it seems to be all good news at the moment. So Ireland is improving. So if you look at the scientific uh, uh, metric of uh, of excellence, it's citations. That's basically how many times the scientific community around the world cite your particular publication, they quote it. And in those indices, last year Ireland moved from 20th place up to 16th place. That's a very significant achievement. And I mean, to put that in context, 10 years ago, Ireland was, you know, in the 40s in terms of ranking, actually it was ranked below Bangladesh. So, so you know, we are ascending those rankings, and that's a measure of quality. And that's very, very important, because science is global. All science is global. There's no such thing as, like, Irish science. You know, if you're making a discovery in medicine, or if you're making a discovery in agriculture or ICT, you know, it's for everybody. It's for the U.S. So the competition is global, the science is global. So that's a kind of measure of excellence. If you look at measures of impact, then for me that's relatively simple. Um, uh, can you engage companies in the research and will they co-fund it and will they co-fund it significantly because obviously the more money they put on the table, the more value they see both in the quality of the research and the output of that research. And I'm pleased to say that that's also increasing. But we should not be complacent. As a nation, we underinvest as a percentage of GDP in public uh, funding. That's understandable. We've been through an economic crisis. But the good news is if you look at Eurostat's uh, statistics from the EU, we are the most efficient country in the EU for public investment in R&D. So we extract maximum innovation output from a below average investment as a percentage of GDP. I think this is good because with economic recovery, hopefully if we can increase the budget, then the prediction would be we would get a disproportionately positive outcome from that increased budget. So, yes, it's an improving situation. No, we can't be complacent because everybody in every other country is running very fast and we have to run fast as well. One of the interesting things that we hear an awful lot in the ICT sector is uh, the dearth of talent that's out there. Um, sort of, uh, all, the, all these new skills are being required by the by the by the marketplace, but we do, we don't have the people to fill them at the moment. Uh, are you finding this is a, the case across the sciences as a whole? Uh, yes, it is across the sciences as a whole, but it's probably more pronounced in ICT, and uh, and that's a global phenomenon. Uh, many countries are have got a big shortfall in the number of ICT uh, potential employees they have versus the number of jobs, and Ireland is no exception. So there's a good news and a bad news story here. The good news story is that we are closing the gap, so there is an increased uh, um, output of uh, ICT graduates and uh, postgraduates from the university sector. Bad news is there's still a long way to go. Um, and we need to encourage uh, young people to choose uh, STEM subjects in school and in university. And SFI has a role there. Um, we need to educate people that if you have a training and an education in a science subject, you're equipped for a wide variety of uh, careers. You know, it's not just one particular stereotype. It's a huge range of careers that you can go into, and they're flexible and they can change with time. And through the Smart Futures initiative within SFI, we're trying to do that. And what Smart Futures does is it coordinates industry 
and uh, public bodies, universities, uh, um, uh, institutes of technology, funders like Science Foundation Ireland. And it does two or three simple things. First of all, it provides a one-stop shop for going into a school to give a talk. That's important. The school has a kind of accredited provider. There isn't an infinite number of slots available to do this. Secondly, we train people. This is important because if you're in front of a class of school children and say you've come from an ICT industry and somebody in the class asks you about pharmaceuticals, it's kind of important you can answer the question at least to a certain level, otherwise it's a lost opportunity, and vice versa. If there's, say, a pharmaceutical person going in, they can ask, answer about ICT. And then the third thing we do is we do a lot of mapping because you can imagine that not every school in the country gets a visit from uh, an industry. And you might imagine that this would be geographically disparate depending on the industries that are in those particular regions or the universities or ICTs that are in those regions or the enthusiasm. And that's quite important because... If the company or SFI wants to be impactful, you know, we can target regions of Ireland that perhaps have had less. And the flip of that is that we can then assess whether anything we do makes any difference because if you have a region which by accident has got less engagement from uh, these outreach activities and ask the question, what is the percentage of people there going on to a STEM versus uh, a region that's had a lot of activity? Does it make any difference? And, and I think that's an important question to ask as well. So this is, a, this is a challenge. It's a challenge that we need to do in cooperation between industry, academia, all the players. We need to really educate children and parents to the fact that, that there are a very large number of careers. Everybody can fit in. You can find something you can do with a science degree, and it's a really fabulous thing to do. It's not for, you know, geeks or nerds or socially decrepit people. You know, this is really interesting. And just think about it. You know, think about the wide variety of careers in, say, a Google or a LinkedIn or a Facebook or a clean room in a microelectronics sector. Or if you're a distinguished mathematician, you might work for Paddy Power uh, developing algorithms so that Paddy Power wins more money than the punters. You know, this is a wide variety of careers that are available to people. One of the things people might be quite concerned about is, uh, or, or quite daunted by, I guess, is the prospect of having to put together a proposal and then submit it perhaps to find an industry partner or to send it to Europe and have to go through this very, um, the whole rigmarole of, you know, am I going to get accepted? Am I going to get rejected? If I got rejected, is it because the idea is bad and I shouldn't follow it up? Uh, to what extent do you think scientists need to, for, for want of a better word, I suppose, toughen up uh, about the quality of their ideas and to accept that, okay, you didn't get it the first time around, but that's not to say if you take on the feedback, it'll come around again. Exactly. So, you know, I would say two things. We uh, re review things and we fund everything competitively. And that's really, really important. You know, from, a, from investing taxpayers' money, I actually want to fund the best people with the best ideas that have the most chance of making uh, discoveries that will be impactful into society. So we are rigorously competitive. Um, uh, funding only the best. And that's done by international peer review. And you get feedback. So you put in the application, the reviewers look at it, and you will get detailed feedback and you will have an opportunity to respond to that feedback. And that feedback may be very genuine things. You know, good people can have a bad idea. Uh, uh, it's just life, you know. Uh, I've had bad ideas. I'm sure everybody's had bad ideas. So you need to recognize that. Of course, you don't always think that yourself. You always think your ideas are always the best ideas. Or you may not have expressed it particularly well, or you may not have enough backup uh, uh, information. So you get feedback, um, and you can take that on board, and you can come back 
around again um, and you having addressed it. And that's, that really is the competitive process. And it's a very important process because we only want to fund the best ideas with the best people in, with the maximum chance of success. And that's the process you go through. So most things don't get funded. Uh, most things get rejected, but they don't get rejected all of the time. Um, or if you do get rejected all of the time, there's something wrong with what you're writing. But, but you just need to, uh, as you say, toughen up, come back around again and uh, put in the application. And the data are very clear internationally that you know, people who've taken the feedback and come back have a much higher chance of success the second time than they do the first one of the things that uh, you mentioned before is this idea of challenge-based funding is that you know you you pick a specific issue and you know you run what basically an international competition to see who has the best idea yeah so challenge-based funding i think is quite interesting because first of all it allows disparate partnerships to evolve so it could be academics it could be companies it could be uh, uh, lay people it could be charities you know the, depending on 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 the the feature secondly you throw out the challenge and the solution is for the uh, consortia to propose and and you can also focus that in various ways i mean you could have wide challenges let's say I take an example, climate change, what could you do to mitigate climate change or, or you know, what are we going to do with the ageing population or how are we going to feed the world or whatever. So those are, are what I would call global challenges. Then you can have local challenges, you know, you could have that even very narrowly economic, you know, how do you move a container from Ireland to China at 30% less cost? Uh, on 10% reduction in CO2. I mean, that's a very interesting challenge that could involve everything from engineering to paint on boats to, you know, uh, uh, logistics to ICT. You could think about it. You know, there's lots and lots of ways you could do that. And then you can have what you might call scientific challenges. You know, how could we apply artificial intelligence to manufacturing? Is there some way that an artificial intelligence system could actually say this component's about to fail? You know, please, uh, please check it and so on. So what's interesting about challenge-based funding is that you put the challenge out, you can change the challenge. It often stimulates people to think about things in different ways. Sometimes people who wouldn't traditionally have thought about that will think, oh, I could, I could contribute to that. You know, I'm a mathematician or I'm a physicist or I'm a whatever. Uh, you know, I have something to say. So people rule themselves in uh, rather than being ruled out by the rules of the game. I don't. I think this is a supplement to. I think it's an addition to the current uh, funding armamentarium. I don't think it's the only way you should do things, but I think it's a very interesting way. Um, there would be questions as to whether or not we made this an international challenge or just an Irish challenge. And um, some things we probably just make an Irish challenge. Um, in the context of open innovation, this is particularly interesting. An example from the medical field is that um, patients who have diseases or parents, say, of children who have rare diseases, are often highly innovative. They often think of some solution to solve a problem that either they or their child has. Um, and, and that's open innovation. Okay, Those are not necessarily professional people in companies. But like uh, other forms of innovation has market failures. One of the market failures is it doesn't tend to be optimised. It's kind of just good enough for what they need, but not necessarily the optimal solution. Well, the market failure is not necessarily communicated widely. Um, so challenges often bring such people out of the woodwork, people you've never expected to come out of the woodwork, who are often quite insightful, even in things like medical research, and they can say, well, actually, you know, I've had this and I've done this and it's worked for me. Um, and, and I think that's quite interesting because it brings a diversity uh, to the research base. 
Uh, just to wrap up, I suppose, uh, we're going to be seeing a new plan for the sciences coming out uh, roughly in the third quarter of, uh, of this year. Uh, one thing that I've noticed less and less uh, in terms of the material coming from the government is the emphasis on the smart economy. Uh, is it because it's just the economy now that people have sort of gone, look, science is just part of what we do? Well, I think uh, one of our challenges is to remind people that science uh, and scientific research is at the base of most things that we do. So people often take science for granted, everything from your car to your mobile phone to the weather forecast. I mean, it's like part of everyday life. So some of those things just need reminding, and one needs reminding that we need to fuel that innovation. The pace of innovation has been increasing significantly. I mean, just think of the number of people, for example, in Ireland who developed new apps for a smartphone. But 10 years ago, that didn't exist. Like, there weren't smartphones. There weren't app developers. So uh, so I think, you know, that's not going to go away. There's going to be things in five years' time that you and I don't know anything about. And therefore, uh, preparing people with, a, with an educated background, with a, a, a basis for systematic inquiry, you know, to be able to develop new things, to be able to adapt and innovate, is really, really important. And for me, that's the kind of smart economy. So so I think the word smart has been dropped uh, in the sense that that really is the economy of the future. Um, it's an economy that requires very talented people, very highly educated people. It also requires an ecosystem. You know, An interesting question is where do innovative ideas come from? And they often come from people looking at different aspects, whether they're looking back at history or they're having a conversation with an industrialist or a person on the street or a person with a need, or they themselves are curious about how something works. You know, ideas come from a wide variety of places, and we need to capture those ideas. We need to look at them systematically. We need to explore them through research, and we need to take the very best ones uh, and rapidly exploit them for uh, economic or societal gain. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. And that was Mark Ferguson, the Director General at Science Foundation Ireland and the Chief Scientific Advisor to the Government, talking to Niall Kitson earlier during the week. Uh, Niall, I suppose uh, on the show, we did because we had that in- interview, we haven't been able to cover all of the, the, the stories that have been happening during the week that we would like to. What else is available on the techcentral.ie website that we should be checking out? Yeah, well, for anyone that uh, happened to be trying to play on Xbox uh, Live or PlayStation uh, Network over the Christmas and had their experience completely ruined because hackers took them both down, uh, you might like to have a look and see what happened to one of the people behind the attacks who was a member of Lizard Squad. So if you go on to techcentral.ie, you will find out all about that story. I think think they'd be quite shocked when they see the sentence, but uh, I won't spoil it. Listen, that is it, our tech radio show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can get hourly updates on tech news along with daily newsletters from the website techcentral.ie as well as our weekly tech radio show online and every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1X. Next week, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall at Tech Central HQ, take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.